start with the set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've covered up the step five in the big book. And um, I had a spiritual moment where uh, God said I should look at the steps we took and carry this message by Joe McHugh. I've gone through them before, but I haven't gone through it, I think, since COVID. And so um, I'd like to do this. It's a great message. And for those listening on the podcast, you can get the steps we took. It's by Joe MCQ and carry this message. You can get them uh, on Amazon. Patty said through the years, I've uh, bought at least 100 of the steps we took. Spent $1,000 or something. The Sunday night meeting, when I started that, we, we did the steps we took, and then I had the Saturday meeting with the big book, and then uh, Wednesday night we were gonna go through the steps in a program, but that deteriorated, people didn't do it, so we ended up doing the book, steps we took, carry this message, drop the rock, through the years. On the site, experiencethebigbook.org, if you're listening on a podcast site, if you go to the site and you, uh, go to full podcast archives, uh, you can scroll down and find anything in the book. I will cover uh, steps uh, seven, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, and 12 in the book, but I'm gonna use this, these other books too. Um, after uh, presenting step five in the big book in four, I realized I was reading the steps we took. This is a really good way to really put this information together. And then in chapters, the next chapter, which we'll cover, he talks about how we change. Step six and seven, how we, how we practice that to change. Uh, I have a fondness in my heart for Joe McHugh. Uh, I, got the, the, I got the CDs in about 2003, maybe four. I've been going to a lot of meetings. I did a four step with someone and I didn't really know how to do it. And, and uh, it was more of a confession. He wanted to know all the dirt about me. And uh, I can't say it was a lot of fun. I don't know that I got a lot out of it. But then I was started to listen to tapes. In this room here, we had a raffle on Sunday nights. At the, we had a meeting here. And I won uh, these cassettes and CDs. And they really started, because we didn't have the internet phones like we have now and all that. This was old times. And um, I won the Joe and Charlie tapes and it wasn't until I uh, had them sitting there on the, on the ledge next to my exercise bike and it wasn't until I heard Burns B. from Louisville talk about how he went to meetings for 10 years and he had no idea what the program and of AA was all about till he listened to Joe and Charlie. And I'd had the Joe and Charlie CD sitting there because, you know, I'm triple board certified. What could Joe and Charlie from Arkansas teach me, you know? <laughs> Sounded like a you know, hillbilly band or something. And, but you know, I was wrong and I'm listening to him and I'm looking at this. I said, well, you know, maybe I should uh, listen to him. It changed my life. 
I've listened to them so many times I could probably tell you everything they say by by heart, but it changed my life. And then it got me interested in listening to all these other speakers and and uh, Big Book Weekends and et cetera and Sandy Beach and all of that. And so uh, I thought that we would do go back to uh, do some of the steps we took, which if you're listening, you can get for uh, eight or nine dollars and carry this message is great. It's a guide to Big Book Sponsorship by Joe McHugh and it's got uh, we're going to go on that, how you pass it on, how AA was started, how we carry the message. Uh, I wanted to read a little bit. Joe McHugh was, uh, he died in, uh, I think, 99. He uh, got sober in Little Rock, Arkansas. He was a short black man, and he got sober during the, uh, the federal troops were there in 64 with the civil rights to try to integrate the schools, and there was all the tanks in the streets. And he had no place to go, and the, the AA group, it was all white, they let him stay there and stay in the basement during that period of time, and he, he sobered up. And eventually he started a uh, serenity house in Little Rock that I think still exists to this day. Uh, these books, uh, just how they came about, uh, this, they're, they're written by Sally C. and Huey C., but they, they, they talk in the note how they, uh, they went to Sam and they would just sit, and it was after 28 years, they would just sit and uh, let him talk about the steps, and they would take notes, and then they said that they, uh, we tried to keep Joe's voice in his presence. We have done some rearranging and revising and a little adding, but most of here is straight from Joe. And when you listen to Joe and Charlie now and XA speakers, that's not the original Joe. That's the new Joe. Uh, Joe had died. Um, and um, you can listen to his story on XA speakers, and you can listen to him talk. Uh, he has several talks on there. He wrote this introduction. I thought I would read it. This is kind of a tribute to Joe McHugh and to the steps and the power of the program tonight. Uh, I hope they find it helpful. He says, many people consider the 12 steps one of the greatest miracles of the 20th century. I believe that. He says, the big book, AA, is now written. At the time, he wrote this 18 languages, but I think it's in 150 languages now. Uh, when God created the world and everything in it, he created it with a set of principles that wouldn't change, principles that govern everything, including human life. During the course of history, our creator is many times reminded of those, those principles, and they're handed down, he says, in every great religion. In 1935, with the creation of AA, these principles were given to the world again. I do believe that. I think it was an act of God. We talk about the hand of God and everything that came together. And this book, big book, was not written by one man, Bill W. It was written as a collective thing. They had a lot of information uh, from the Oxford group, many authors. Um, there was a group of people, the Oxford group, who were trying to revive first century Christianity. And then there were recovering alcoholics who went to the Oxford group originally, and then they broke away. And they boiled down the principles of living into 12 simple steps. I remember. Uh, my minister a few years ago, I, 
he was interested, so he, he actually got on the site and listened to the talk, and he actually thought it was pretty good. I, so he went to meet with me, and he wanted me to do the steps for the people in the church. I said, uh, Pastor Paul, I can't get alcoholics who are dying <laughs> to do the steps. I, I don't know how well it would go over, because it's, it's for people who are desperately seeking God. But really, it's for everybody. It's a design for living, and, and it was how we can practice the character of God. And um, he says, the steps were clear and uncluttered with any theology, which I think was a gift. They, they were able to write it in a spiritual way without uh, excluding anyone. And then he says, uh, there are 160 different groups using the, uh, uh, the steps. In fact, I've had quite a few people who are in uh, Overeaters Anonymous uh, uh, through the last few years uh, uh, send me emails and talk about how they were using the steps and the podcasts were helpful for them. He says, the exciting thing about the 12 steps is that they teach us how to live. I didn't know how to live before. I had a design for living, but it didn't work. Anybody else? That's why Sandy Beach says when we come in, we don't want to know your plan. And, and the only way the alcoholic is going to get help is when he wants to know what our plan is. What's the plan in the big book? What do I need to do? And through all the years, I don't, can't remember anybody new coming up to me and saying, what do I need to do? Um, but, uh, but, but they, I've had people follow the instructions. I'm looking at several of them now in the room and their lives have changed and they're just great examples of the power of God. I don't take any credit for it. It's, it's, it's the steps. It's God. It says, once we know the design of living and the principles of living a successful life, we find that we not only get over the problems we see, but we avoid many other problems we would have had. And that's, uh, to me, the miracle is that this is all boiled down into 12 simple steps. It says we had one problem, right? And the problem was we had a lack of power. And the steps are designed to have a relationship with the power. And Chuck C. said, we only have one problem, conscious separation from God. And the solution is conscious contact. It's that simple. In his book, A New Pair of Glasses, he has a picture of the world, and, and, and then he's outside the world, this little dot. And that's, that was the problem, that the real world where God was in power was over here, and he was in his own world. And guess what? That was true for me. It was true for others in this room. He says, uh, many ideas in this book is, my idea in this book is to talk about these steps, about how they are the principles of living, the steadfast and never changing universal laws undoubtedly established by something beyond man. I think that's true. And he's going to say, these principles that, that apply to human behavior is as dependable as the principles that govern physics. Sometimes you might imagine that just once water wouldn't freeze at 30 degrees. But no matter where we are, it always does, right? And when God made water, he made a governing principle, and that principle is dependable because it's unchanging. And the same is true of the principles that govern human behavior. If we understand the principles which God has made to govern our lives, we can accomplish more and live better lives. 
Yet most of us know more about the principles that govern nature than we do about the principles that govern our own lives. There are a few people in our society who seem able and willing to teach the principles. I think that's true. Um, I think the family and the church and all the institutions that could be teaching the principles stopped many years ago and started making rules. Our church has a big book of rules. When I read scripture, I don't see the rules, but we have rules. It's easier to give rules than it is to teach principles. That's, that's uh, true. But when you don't know the principles, you usually can't help but break the rules. Sometimes all the rules. If you have the principles, you don't really need rules. That's why there's no rules in the big book. It's suggestion. And it's, uh, it's, it's suggested action. And there's, there are some musts, but the musts are applied if you want this result, then you must do this. So it's not a rule. It's a, um, it's a necessity if you want to achieve the result. The 12 steps don't have any don'ts. They have do. What do we need to do? It's action. It's the action that changes us. And the principles are guidelines for what to do. And really, I talk about all the time, but how do I practice God's character? And we have the spiritual checklist. If you haven't seen it, if you're listening on the podcast, if you go to the site, you go into resources and recovery, you'll see the spiritual checklist, the left and right hand side. And uh, someone made a, a colored, uh, a colored thing of that and on the back put the St. Francis prayer and that's been very helpful to me and to a lot of people. I probably made a thousand of those copies, giving out more in the, in the years. So it comes basically to surrender. The 12 steps teach us that successful living is being in harmony with God and our fellow man. So I have to surrender me. I'm no longer in management. It is putting ourselves to maximum service of God and our fellow man. That comes from page 77, right, in the big book. The reward is simple. It's harmony. It's happiness. It's contentment. It's peace with God. And it says that in Scripture, that through doing, uh, I can have peace with God. That's all I ever wanted. I didn't realize it. And then, um, is it okay if I read... Uh, um, a little bit about uh, Joe. Um, he, uh, he was born 1928, died 2007. And um, he touched and transformed. This is his obituary, and it says it's going to be okay. Uh, he started this enterprise on a grant, and he ended up uh, uh, having this 12-step uh, house called Serenity House, and um, he met uh, Charlie uh, Parmalee in uh, 1970, and they met at an Al-Anon meeting, 1973, and he had been studying the big book, Joe McHugh, and Charlie had as well, and then they would meet at meetings and they would compare notes. and. Um, they uh, found they, they had a really great interest and they would meet at conferences and they put things together. And um, they talked, they gave a talk and somebody recorded their talk at a weekend and then they, they at the uh, AA convention, they gave out the tapes and then they became 
very well known, obviously, because the message was so powerful. It's the message of our program. And they did uh, 33 uh, um, to 35 meetings a year. And uh, they changed the lives. Um, they changed my life, so I thought I would talk a little bit about that. Now I want to cover chapter five and give us some additional information on what uh, Joe has to say. And it leads into, this chapter is called uh, Improving on the Truth. And the next chapter is Changes the Name of the Game, about six and seven, it's very powerful. And I'm gonna go through that and then um, some of the Drop the Rock for six and seven. And I've recorded Drop the Rock on the site if you're interested, just uh, go down the archives and you'll find it or go to uh, put in the, uh, in the box and you'll pull up four or five talks I did on Drop the Rock. It's a fantastic book. So improving on the truth. Yeah, yeah, I have podcasts on that. I went through the whole book. And uh, in fact, we did a meeting after the meeting on Sunday nights for a while. This was years ago, and uh, we would read, we read Drop the Rock together. Through the years, I've tried all sorts of things, and it's helped me. I think that helps some people, and we've covered that. So it says, improving on the truth. Because I did the meeting for 10 years before I started recording it. So um, The people wanted me to record it. They thought it would be good if, in case they missed meetings. But none of them are around anymore. And the guy who set up the site, uh, he won't answer my phone calls. I don't know what's happened to him. But Lyle's around, and he uh, is in IT, and he helped do the WordPress, and he helps put it up, and then I edit it. But I can't really change the site. I don't know how to get on it. And so if it seems confusing, I'm sorry. I believe the happiest an individual is ever going to be is when he is in, the, in this pattern of living, relying on God and on other people. And remember, God works through people. And they're people who saved my life. God put them in my life. And that's why it, uh, the fellowship is really important, because God works through people in the fellowship to come to me and I hopefully we're helping other people. This is the design of life, the rely on God and ourselves and others as well as ourselves. Step five, admit it to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. So he says step five is a subtle step. In fact, we might easily assume the attitude that it could be avoided. John, uh, this is the book. And you can get it on Amazon, okay, buddy? Um, if we go back and examine the whole process of the steps thus far, we can see that the goal of the process is to find the truth. I didn't realize that when I came in here, that I was living in a world that wasn't true. And it was killing me. Um, the Bible talks about knowing God in spirit and in truth. Ultimately, we may see God as the truth. The whole process of the steps is built around this fact. And, and the way I see that is that when I'm wearing God's glasses, I can see things and react differently. And when I'm wearing Michael's glasses, then I see things and I react differently. 
And when I know that I'm starting to get bothered or disturbed at all, I know I have the wrong pair of glasses now. And so I try to take them off that six and seven for me all day long. But I didn't know that when we come in. And I want to see the truth is see, see the truth when I have in, when I'm with God. And when I'm in self, I couldn't see the truth. In the first step, we understood the problem. We were looking for the truth, the true nature of the problem. Once we saw it, we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves that would restore us to sanity, and that is truth. They make the point that sanity is soundness of mind. And I can see the truth about alcohol when I'm in relationship with God. What else do I need to see the truth about? My fears, my resentments, my actions. And in other words, we came to believe that the truth exists. And that's, I do, I trust God because God is truth. And I go to God and pray all the time now. I didn't do that when I came in. I didn't know how to do that. In step three, we made a decision to turn our lives over to the care of that truth. In order to act on that decision, we need to find out what was blocking us from the truth, and that's what step four is. Alcohol is just a symptom. We had to get down the causes and condition. We had to find, face and be rid of the things that were blocking me from God, from the truth, from seeing things. And also, I couldn't be free of the bondage of self until I could see the truth about things, right? And, and when we say, I want to be relieved of the bondage of self, we need to know what it looks like. And that's what we did in step four. And the fifth step is the first, and I, the way I do it is I go through the book with the person, the instructions on four, and we do four and five at the same time. And uh, I, he's talking about improving on your inventory that you've done by yourself. And uh, uh, the way I do it is different. I do it with the person. He does the first three columns. We go over it. Then we do the fourth column. Then we do fears. Then we do second step proposition on fear. And then we do sex inventory. So it taught me a lot, because I've done a lot of inventories of my own while I'm doing theirs. I see the same things. I see things that come up. The fifth step is a further search for the same thing. In step five, we examine the information we found in step four and make sure it is true. And what's so interesting is people write out the three columns. And it says in the big book, now we have to be prepared to look at this from a different angle, because it's the key to my future. And so. And then they give instructions on how to be free of anger. And so I couldn't see the truth. And when I'm doing a fourth or fifth step with someone, and they'll write out the three columns. And they'll write the things that they did. And a lot of times, when you look at it with them, you could see that they're not true. It's a distortion of the truth. And so and it makes them so, it's so freeing. And I had the same thing in my life, and I still do now when I see things. We want a better quality of the truth. Why is this improving on step four is truth necessary? And I wrote, no inventory, no truth. People don't do the written inventory according to the book. I, I don't know what, what their program's like, and I don't know what happens to them. I don't have an opinion on that. I just know that this has saved my life. If He writes, if a pro individual is a problem for weeks, months, or even years, and you believe something, you didn't even know you had a problem. It's pretty obvious he's not an expert on the truth. Now, I knew they had a problem, right? Anybody else? They've got a problem. But the problem was really me. 
if they're going through the first few, four steps, we don't rely on the information as we see it. We don't have a good record of the truth. In fact, uh, uh, Chuck C. used to say every day he'd wake up and he'd say, Pop, what else am I going to be wrong about today? Because I, I want to be able to see things differently. It says, um, if they're going through the first four steps, we don't rely on the information as we see it. We don't have a good record of the truth. No one individual really knows the truth anyway. Only God knows the truth. We human beings only have our perception of the truth. Now, I wrote a thought, and I can't remember which one it is, but it's on the site under Thoughts of Recovery, when alcoholism is a disease of perception. And there's a famous uh, AA speaker, Clancy I, from LA, who's passed away, but he had gave, a, gave a talk that really made an impression on me that alcoholism is a disease of perception. We, we, see, we see things wrong, and, and uh, we act on those things, and, and uh, that really made a lot of sense, and now I, I see things differently. And when I'm disturbed, it's because I'm, I'm perceiving something, my perception's wrong. And I'm seeing it through Michael's eyes and not God's eyes. And he says, um, it's interesting and not by chance that step five is laid out that the center in this way, that the center of our lives is spiritual as God. So the first thing we have to do is talk these things over with God. The second dimension of our lives is ourselves, our minds. And remember, we want to put my life in order, right? It says that on page uh, 77. And I'm going to put my life in order with God first in the first three steps. Then the f uh, four through seven is how I'm going to get right in my mind so my mind can see truth. And then the third dimension, other people, we get right with that in steps eight and nine by making amends or willing to make amends. He says, um, in the process, the steps are trying to get to this consciousness with God. And remember, at the big book, at the end of step five, it says that we begin to have the spiritual experience. So I, I really think steps four and five is a necessity to have the spiritual experience. And then you use this information the rest of your life. And you use that information, steps 10, 11, every day. Uh, getting someone else's viewpoint is important. <laughs> you, you know, we can all see things in a different light. He talks about when an accident happens on the street, the police may question a person over there, one over there, another one, and they may all see it different. It's hard to find out what the truth is because we all look at things from different angles. He says, today we're very blessed because in any community there are people who have been through this inventory or knowledgeable enough to sit down and do it with us. And I think that's really what sponsorship's all about. It's finding someone who's gone through the book who can take you through the inventory process. And now it's evolved into friendships, calling people, coffee. That's great. Going to meetings together. That's great, having a good buddy. But for me to change, I have to, I, I want to do the instructions in the big book. One of the reasons I started this meeting about the big book is so people could go through it and they could, they could, they could go through it and do it and they could take someone else through it. And, you know, when my son died, that's what God said that. Maybe we can prevent somebody else from dying in their car. Um, and so in the big book, they say find an understanding person. But um, remember, when the book was written, 
uh, there weren't a lot of people in AA. There were 80 members of AA. But today you can find someone who's done this. And it shouldn't be, I, I wouldn't pick a sponsor because how long they've been sober. I mean, that's good. But I would pick someone who's done this and who could take me through it. And I had a really good sponsor, but he never took me through the book. He'd never been through it. I found that through Joey Charlie. And I did all that, and then I found someone else to go through it with me. And when my son died, I did it all again. Uh, another inventory and all over that. I do it constantly every day. I do my inventory. And I share it with another person. And it's, it's almost become part, it's part of my life, the steps. And um, um, the main requirement is that we have to tell everything to another person. And remember it says on page 100, it says you and the new man must walk every day in the path of spiritual progress. That's what you're trying to do. And that spiritual progress, I have to do this work to get, to get rid of the things that are blocking me from God working in my life so I can see the truth about my thinking. I thought I was a pretty smart guy when I came in here, but I knew my life was completely screwed up. And then I realized I wasn't that smart. Everything I thought I knew was wrong. All my resentments were wrong, my fears were all wrong, and I had a lot of shame and guilt from wrong actions. That doesn't mean we're terrible people. What it meant was I had the wrong manager, me, and I lived a life run by me. And it says, um, uh, we've, it says we've conned ourselves with resentments. We have taken the blame and transferred it from ourselves to another person. And that's what we do. Something happened at home and there was something that went wrong and I immediately went to call Patty. Why'd this happen? But I realized I could have done it too. She, something wasn't started. She forgot to run the dishwasher. And so in the morning I said, wow, Patty, I said to myself, bye, ah, she didn't run that dishwasher. And then I said to myself, well, I could have done it too. And it was so, Dick can relate to that. It, it was, I mean, it sounds silly, but that's how we've grown spiritually. But my first thought was, Patty, why'd you run the dishwasher? And then immediately before I even said anything, I said, well, gee, I could have run it too. I don't know, people probably turned off the podcast by now, but. Uh, it says, if we're an alcoholic or some other kind of sick person, we have developed these skills. And we're very skilled at protecting ourselves and blaming others. So, should I go on and read a little bit more? Is this helpful? Yeah. After we've taken, and it says we have to see things in the big book from a different viewpoint, because it holds the key to our future to be able to see things differently. After we take an inventory, then we've carried our infant in step four, we go to step five, and we can see how much more information we have. And you know, I've had people come with their lists, and they can see a lot more. I can see it in their eyes, see the way they react when they see it differently. It sets you free. We look at resentments, we find out they're a distortion of the truth, a way to take a situation, cast the blame on somebody else, and totally escape, so we have nothing to do with it whatsoever. And I think that's a key point. We get mad at somebody else for something that they did, but then if we, when we finish our fourth column, we see that 
hello, I may have set the ball rolling. And I've seen that. Other people have seen that. Stu, you've seen that, haven't you? Yeah. And we can see it today. And a resentment is, to, is a way of transferring blame. And remember, a resentment is a wrong judgment. It's wrong. It's not right. To accept a situation, to see ourselves and own our faults in it is the best way to get through it. But to accept it is painful, and a lot of people can't even do it. They just don't want to do it. And so we push the pain away by transferring the blame to other people. We say it was their fault, and we're escaping and wiping our slate clean, but what we want to do is escape from the bondage of them, because we make them in their higher power, don't we? But then we have to keep this lie up and we believe, in, begin to believe it's the truth. And he talks about how you take some distortion of the truth. And over t years, um, this resentment has enslaved us and eventually we think it's true. And, and they talk about Joe and Charlie, the resentment machine, the replay machine. And as you're sitting there replaying this resentment over and over and over, the play changes. And it looks different till it's it's till you're completely innocent of it, and the other person's totally the blame. He, and resentments enslave us, don't they? They're futile, and they they destroy either the main offender from our relationship with God, and they're the spiritual malady. And talks about fear. I think I'll stop there about how fear blocks us from doing things. We don't think we're good enough. He talks about people going back to school. They don't want to go back to school because they they're afraid they're going to fail. People are afraid to do a lot of things because they think they're not good enough or not, they're not going to look good. Um, I've had the one guy who's sober six years now uh, didn't want to come back to AA. This was about nine years ago. He was really struggling. He says, I don't want to go back. I don't want to tell him that uh, you know, I relapsed. I said, well, one, they're alcoholics. They're all only thinking about themselves. Two, uh, it's all, we all have the same disease. And three, you're, you're just afraid that they're going to look at you badly, but we're not, because we're all the same. And then he came back and he told me when he got his six-year coin, he, uh, he called me up. He lives in North Carolina now. And he thanked me for that. It, it, it gave him the courage to come back. And by coming back, he eventually got sober. So I think I'll stop there and we'll pick up with uh, step four, step five. Is that okay? Was this helpful? So, all right.